0: Hey well, man, what's you, going on? I was wondering if you're going to open or if we were going to start dating or what. It's
1: like, what? Are you, yeah, what, what are you doing? Oh, we got to, we got to keep it fresh, man. So today we got a really good show. Yeah, we do. We've been looking forward to this one uh-huh. uh, basically since the uh, first edition. So this is a part two. D. part de. Joey Coleman's back with us today. One of our most watched shows. Literally. Period. Yeah. And for good reason. I mean, it's basically a master class in customer experience. Man, and today's show was no different. I think what I'm struck with is we hang out with Joey is just how tight the crossover is. I mean, this guy, Joey, works with all kinds of industries from the big, you know, highfalutin technology companies and all that kind of stuff to other service sectors and banking and all the things. But the way that he talks about his process, customer experience, it is just so directly applicable to our business. 100%. I mean, it's so practical. I think this is one of those shows, like the last one, where you just want to take notes because there's there's something actionable in virtually every paragraph we speak. So yeah, it's really awesome. And this is content, by the way, that... I mean, people pay him lots of money yeah. to come keynote at speeches all around the world. World, literally. World. Yeah. So we're really stoked to just continue building this relationship with Joey and just thrilled to be able to share this with our audience and we'd love your feedback. You know, shoot us a message after you listen to these episodes and and tell us, you know, what you're doing with it in your own business. But there is just lots and lots of solid gold here. So it's monster. Enjoy. Yeah, let's do it. Welcome back to the Head, Heart, and Boots podcast. I'm Chris and I'm Brandon. Join us as we wrestle with what it takes to
0: transform ourselves and the businesses we lead. Man, I <laughs> love this industry. Okay. Joey, welcome, sir. Thank you, hey for, gentlemen. Thank you for not only joining us once, but joining us for round number two. We had a really great time coming out of the gate in our last visit. And we are going to ask you to do a recap for us just to bring people up to speed because we've had some distance. You haven't exactly been sitting around uh, waiting for things (laughs) to do. And then today, though, we're going to tackle that second half of that first 100 days, looking at those remaining four kind of focuses as we develop that client relationship. But dude, thanks. Thanks for coming on the
2: show again. Oh, it is my pleasure. Great to be back with you guys again. And thanks to everybody who's tuning in and listening to part two. I'm going to try, oh, we're big Star Wars fans in our house. Oh, yeah. and I know there's a lot of people that have, You know, debate about, well, where the prequels really is it one, two, three, four, five, six? You know, what's your number counting? But as somebody who saw Star Wars in the theater as a kid, and that'll always be number one to me, my goal is to have an Empire Strikes Back level performance on this second video. Like, you know, (laughs) they really upped the bar in the Star Wars series with Empire Strikes Back. So I'm going to try to see if we can deliver even more value to your awesome listeners today than we did last
0: time. I love it, dude. Let's do it. Yeah. So recap us, man. What What is this 100 days? What have you designed? And where did
2: we go on our our last call? Yeah, those first four. Yeah. So I believe there are eight phases to the customer journey. And each of those phases starts with the letter A. And ideally, if we're getting them all well done for our customers. It's like getting straight A's on our report card. So last time we talked about the first four phases, which is phase one, the assess phase. When a prospect is trying to decide whether or not they want to hire you. Phase two, the admit phase, where they admit that they have a problem or a need that they believe you can help them with. They sign on the dotted line. They enter into a formal relationship. They agree that you're going to be their go-to folks. This is where they transition from being a prospect to being a customer. And by the way, in that first 100 days, this is day one, right? This is when the relationship officially starts. But almost immediately after entering into that agreement or deciding to work with you, they go to phase three, the affirm stage, where they begin to feel some buyer's remorse for the decision that they just made to hire you and work with you. So what are we going to do in that phase? We need to address their fear and their doubt and uncertainty and reaffirm their choice to work with us. We then finished up our conversation last time with phase four, the activate phase. This is the first real moment of truth. So the first cleanup scenario, the first disaster scenario, the first problem scenario where suddenly we've got to trigger the agreement We need you to come in. We need you to start doing work. So everybody shows up with this idea of it's time to clean, it's time to repair, it's time to fix. Whatever type of scenario might be triggering the need to take advantage of your services, that's the activate stage. And as a reminder, the activate stage is only one day in the same way that the admit stage is one day. It's the day they sign the contract. The activate stage is that first day on the job. So let's imagine you have a scenario where you're going to be there for two weeks. Activate is the first day you show up for the job. We then move to the acclimate phase, which is phase five. And that's going to be the duration of the rest of that job, if it's a multi-day job. Or that's also generally the time period when the customer or the client is getting used to your way of doing business. So it might take two or three projects and they're still in that acclimate phase. Really just depends on the type of client, the type of scenario that we're in. and We can spitball a couple of different scenarios if you guys have specific visions of what that could be. But the moral of the story is the acclimate phase is usually the longest phase and it is the phase that is most wrought with potential danger for your business. Yeah, Because you think, oh, we're good to go. We're all set. And it's like, no, no, no. This is where they're acclimating to your way of doing business. They're learning little quirks about how you operate. Their expectations for what it was going to be like are being matched or not matched during this time period. And you're kind of in, hey, we're just doing our thing. We're doing the thing that we're trained to do. We're born to do. We're ready to do. And that potential disconnect between how you like to deliver projects and what their expectation for how a project is handled causes all kinds of potential challenges and issues. That being said, if you do it right, it can be wonderful.
0: It's a wonderful thing. Yeah. I'm hearing like all these salespeople right now kind of going, "Mm Hmm. (laughs) Like, this is that time where I've made a lot of promises and we either come bringing home runs or we don't, right?
1: And oftentimes too, so at that activate stage, what's also taking place, you get that first call. Most companies are on their best behavior that day one. Like that initial response, the greeting to the customer, there's some excitement to have a new job coming in that's driving that best behavior, best foot forward. And then in our business, as I'm sure it is with many, many other service companies, the subsequent process for the remainder, like if it's a two-week job, like you say, or a three-day job even, there are so many things that can go wrong, big and small. Like One of the terms we use when we think of customer experience is micro-disappointments. Ah, yes, these, I love it. There's <laughs> these little, these little things that just start to kind of poke at the customer, and they're small enough that likely the customer doesn't say anything about it because they don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill. Customers don't typically want to complain, right? It's like once they get to the point of True. complaining, there's been a lot of disappointments along the way, and man, in our business, there are so many opportunities for micro disappointments after the first ten minutes <laughs> of showing up to do that
2: job, right? So, absolutely, from call. well. Absolutely. And I think the interesting thing about micro-disappointments is it's death by a thousand cuts, right? Yeah, Yeah, Which is worse? Just boom, it's over? Or, oh, we are slowly but surely going to chip away against all the goodwill you built up during the sales process? all the relationship building you did, all of the kind of, oh, you can count on us. We're going to be there for you. And then suddenly what is often at one of the lowest points of their business life or personal life, depending on oh, the yeah. type of client or scenario, Yeah, you all show up and you get to experience, hey, we've got all the emotions you're dealing with, but then we've got these practical realities of what we need to do to help Make things better, get things cleaned up, get them repaired, fill in the blanks, whatever you're trying to do. You're starting in the hole. Yeah. That's one of the big challenges about the industry, yeah. right? We start 100%. in the hole. A lot 100%. of other businesses start at a plateau, start at yeah. a high point. We start in the hole. And not only do we start in the hole in terms of what's going on, but we start in the hole because our customers, our clients aren't at their best state either. So not only is this situation problematic, but we can almost guarantee that they are having one of the worst days of their year, if not the worst days of their life. And the crazy thing is, for us, this is typical Tuesday. Yeah. And so sometimes the lack of empathy that we have for where they're at is palpable, not because we're bad, not because we're not caring for them, It's that we are so used to this type of life and this type of scenario that there's a disconnect with the palpable reality for them. 100%. You know, to pull this aside to show that it isn't just in this industry, I used to be a criminal defense lawyer. So the typical person who is facing criminal charges, this is by far the worst point in their life. Because if this goes south, they go to prison. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. big, big consequences. As their lawyer, if it goes south, I'm disappointed. I lost the case. You know, I didn't deliver on my promise for them, but I don't go to prison. <laughs> right? <laughs> so like the consequences are very, very different. Yeah. And compound that with the fact that the typical lawyer has somewhere between 50 and 70 cases active at any given time. Right? The, typ- tr- the typical lawyer. And I'm going to define active as from the first time you meet a client until a jury or a judge giving a verdict. And sometimes that can be years later. That's why they can have so many active cases at a given time. When I was practicing law, on average, I had 220 cases active at any given time. Wow. I don't say that to brag that, oh, look at all the business I had. I say that to illustrate that it was incumbent on me to remember that for my clients, this was the primary thing in their life. Mm. It was by far the worst thing in their life, but for me, it was one of two hundred and twenty. Totally, it's it, such a great analogy. For our industry is so too, good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The connection is so good, yeah, yeah. And so, I think if we learn nothing else about the acclimate phase, it's what can we do to make sure that our teams, that we and the other people that work for us, understand. This is the worst day of their life, or this is one of the worst. If it's not the worst, it's one of the worst days. What can we do to make it different? And lots of times, especially in a corporate setting, like let's pretend it's a hotel group, right? We might be in a scenario where we're like, yeah, but they've got so many other hotels and it's not that big of a deal. And surely they've been through this before. Maybe, but maybe not. Maybe this is their flagship hotel, the only one that's profitable right now. And now you just told me we've got five rooms out of commission. Maybe this is the first time that they've, in their role, been responsible to oversee a cleanup because they just got this new job and hired you in the last year. And they've never had a scenario like this before. So they feel like their job with their boss is on the line. Now we're talking about things that have nothing to do with whether you do a good job getting the, the place back up and running. We're talking about psychological impacts. We're talking about emotional impacts. There are layers upon layers. We made this comment last time when you were on
0: the show. For folks that are listening, look, Joey is a business professional. His ability to look at our companies, our businesses, our endeavors at 30,000 feet is really awesome. And the reason I say that is you're not an industry-specific leader. You do not lead in our industry specifically, but your ability to look at our industry, look at our businesses and how we're taking care of our clients, the connections you make are spot on. And it's a real testament to just kind of your brilliance around leadership and development of our businesses, regardless of what space we're operating in. Well, I think it
1: also is a commentary on just how universal these Mm -hmm. principles are. Like, here's another thing that's coming up for me, a little bit of a side note you know when we teach our clients how to sell in this industry kind of the old way of selling is this promotional candy and smiles swag i call it interruption advertising <laughs> right uh, it's, right hey, look at how awesome we are you need us and the reality is people don't give a rip about restoration until they need to give a rip about it generally speaking and so our whole sales process is rooted in discovering the customer's pain you know pain unmet preferences past negative stressful experiences with other vendors etc and salespeople zeroing in on what is the past pain you've had? And then what are the concrete specific solutions or processes we have in our company that's going to solve for that? And so this acclimate phase you're describing, there's another really dark thing that's taking place in that the standard has been set so high. But the stand, it's not that, hey, we're awesome. It's not necessarily that standard. It's, hey, we've talked about your past experiences with great specificity. And we've told you we're going to solve for those problems. And so then when the job actually hits, all those micro-disappointments potentially start setting in. But it also, it calls into question our integrity. Mm. I think a lot of service companies can get away with apologizing well, you know, in the midst of service delivery. But when you've sold, hey, we understand your past struggles and frustrations and stressors and problems. And then the lived experience they begin having reflects a lack of understanding of their past problems. Then there's this bait and switch kind of feeling, I think, that can set in with that operational decision maker. They're like, look, I met with Sally multiple times and told her about our experience with XYZ restoration and ABC restoration prior to that.
2: And here we're experiencing the same kind of stuff. You know, it's a tricky time. It's a real tricky time, and you are spot on that this stuff parallels just the human condition, right? Let's take it out of a restoration context just for a moment. This shows up in our personal lives Mm -hmm. with our closest friendships, our deepest relationship, our significant other. Imagine a scenario with your significant other where you kind of explain early on in the dating process, like, look, these are some of the things that have hurt in the past. These are some of the bad scenarios I've had to deal with in the past. And then you get into the relationship and they start pressing on those buttons, or you feel like they're pressing on those buttons, okay? There's a distinction there, friends. It may be that they're pressing, but it may be just that you feel that they're pressing on those buttons. That hurts a lot worse than if a random stranger did it. Oh, yeah. Because this is someone that we thought we had integrity with. We thought we had connection with. We thought we had a mutual understanding and agreement with 100%. So, if you build your entire business around relationships and you're training your team and your staff to go in and identify pain points and to really speak to how you're different and how you're going to handle that differently, when you roll up on the site, if you're not bringing that same level of commitment, focus, empathy, and attention to detail, about the things that matter to them, not the things that matter to you, the things that matter to them, they're going to sniff that out instantly. They're looking for it. Exactly. And sometimes sometimes they're looking for it, but sometimes, remember, they're already in a raw emotional state. Right. Right? If somebody has third degree, if I took a feather and touched either of you on your arm right now, you'd barely feel it. Now, let's give you a third degree burn on your arm, and I'll touch you with a feather, and you'll go through the roof. Yeah. Same feather, different context, the state Mm. the person is in at the time. So when you roll up and you're thinking, hey, we're doing the same thing we do for everyone. This is no big deal. But something that you do is a trigger point for them. It's the feather on the third degree burn. Oh, that's such a good example. And then what does our team do? geez, they seem really uptight. Oh, why are they reacting to that? We do this every time. What? This is our process. This is written. I understand. But we've got to meet the client, meet the customer where they're at. Yeah, That Dude, should I, be our opening volley. You're so unapologetic.
0: I love it. No, yeah. that's spot on. Man. And I know that people listening right now are going, uh,
2: damn it. <laughs> like, like oh, we've got some hard to do, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, Brandon and Chris, trust me. Listen, I get it. This is hard. This is not, but you know what? You didn't get into this industry because it was easy. Yeah. If you wanted an easy job, there are a boatload of other industries that are a heck of a lot easier than restoration. Let's yeah. just be candid. Yeah. You got into this because I have to imagine at some level, you liked the idea of helping people when they were at their lowest, lowest. 100%. Yeah. You yep. liked the idea of being able to ride in on a magic carpet with your cape flowing in the back and solve their problem and get them back as if nothing had ever happened. You're magicians. You all yeah. are magicians. You have the ability to erase history and bring it back to what it was. Mm. That requires extra effort and it requires more work. And if you're not, not willing accidental. to put in that time and effort, okay, maybe consider a different career. Yeah. <laughs> maybe consider right. a different industry. And And, and that's not, that's not to say you're, you're bad. You're broken. You couldn't hack it. All the stories we start to tell ourselves. But the reality is if you want to deliver remarkable experiences in the restoration industry, you are going to have to play a game that is much more advanced than the typical business. Now I think you're all up to it. Okay. Cause you self selected into the industry. So you're, you're already have that kind of wiring internally. You may just have forgotten what you signed on for. <laughs> maybe it's been a minute and you're like, oh, yeah, I kind of got into the process of just running the business and, you know, disconnecting and growing the team and being further away from the on the ground frontline delivery. And maybe there's an opportunity for folks listening to go onto a site and spend the day just observing. I know there might be a part of you that's like, well, I want to help out. Great, you can help out too and maybe learn some things on the employee experience side. <laughs> that's right, Fascinating for everybody to do as well. But even if you just observe what the interactions were, you'll also find out that some of your standard procedures for how you roll in on day one aren't being followed. Yeah, we talk about it, but we may we talk not be about doing it, it. But we yeah. may not be doing it. Let's be candid, every industry on the planet has experienced huge team member turnover in the last two years. Maybe you've got some folks on the team that don't understand why we, uh, I'm going to make something up to illustrate the point here, why we put booties on when we're walking into the office. Okay, They don't understand why we're doing that because they're like, we're literally just walking in on day one. Like, I haven't gone in any of this. Stuff. Why do I need to put booties on to come into your office? Well, because what we're doing is we're conditioning the client that this is how we behave. We respect your space. Love it. We do things. Yeah. Okay. But if the frontline employee, if the one who's there, doesn't understand the long-term implications and impact of wearing those booties, well, now we've got a challenge. Because for them, it's a checklist item as opposed to an emotional. That's item. Yeah,
1: That's it. Yeah. Joey, how how important is theater in customer <laughs> experience? Because you know, I oh, think sometimes I, people yeah. hear this stuff. They hear that example, even with the booties, and the booties is a really great example because it's something our industry commonly does. The good ones commonly do for that purpose. But some people hear that and they're like, okay, so it's just for optics, and we can kind of dismiss those things that aren't practical. They're just for optics. But how important are optics? How important is theater in the customer experience delivery, in your view?
2: Well, I'd ask people, and I'm happy to answer the question, but I'd ask people to just ask themselves, how important are optics in theater in the rest of your life? Mm. What do you do when you get home and you're tired? You flip on the TV. That's all optics in theater. Every aspect of it. If you have a subscription to Netflix, to Disney Plus, to Amazon Prime, to Epics, whatever, whatever channel you're super excited about, or if you have cable with, oh, I don't know ESPN, or you ever watch, oh, I don't know any news channel, any broadcast channel, you are self identifying as someone who loves theater and optics. Yeah. Do you think your customers might do those things too? They do. And here's the interesting thing about theater. As somebody who grew up in the theater and spends a lot of time on stages, theater is, in my estimation, the opportunity to hold up a mirror to reflect what life is really about. The greatest theatrical performances, the greatest movies, the greatest books create environments where we can see ourselves in the role. Mm. We can feel and connect into something and it triggers a past memory. It triggers a past experience. So is theater important? I would posit it's one of the most important things of all. In fact, when I do workshops, I'll often tell a joke. I'll say, you know, some people, you know, refer to them as customers. Some refer to them as clients. Some refer to them as users. I refer to them as audience. Mm. And it's not just because I'm a speaker. When you think about the people you serve as an audience, it calls you to perform. Mm. It calls you to seek a standing ovation. It calls you to pay attention to the people in the front row, as well as in the cheap seats. Mm. It calls you to drive towards seasoned ticket holders, the kind of people that will come see any show you put on because they know it's going to be a worthwhile investment of their money, but more importantly, their time. Mm. And when you think about what does it take to get a standing ovation, versus what does it take to just walk on stage and deliver your lines? They're two very, very different things. And usually the deciding factor between whether you get a standing ovation or not is whether you have emotionally connected with the audience and given them a remarkable performance. So I think this can work in restoration as well.
0: We could probably just wrap up. Hell yeah, man. Right. Uh... Right there. That was massive. So we we talk about this a lot just this idea of perception management, right? I don't think I've ever kind of put it in this context of theater. That was a really interesting question to be honest, but your answer, man, that is the thing and we talk about that a lot in our industry of Look, we all have similar gear. We all have similar pricing structures. We all use the same estimating systems like Nine out of 10 things we do are no more than a dime a dozen. They're just the same thing. But our performance is the differentiation. Yeah, like particularly The way that we manage that. How right? we make people feel in the course of that delivery... Yeah. ...is all of it. It's all of it. You just can't. Do we consider our clients as an audience? I'm going to have to wrestle with that a bit myself, just internally. Like, Is there a different way for us to be talking to people and mentoring businesses and reminding them, if you looked at your client as an audience, what about your systems and people and behaviors would change because you're looking for the win of an audience versus just the utilitarian responsibility to deliver a service? damn, man, Like like that may be a piece that you're going to have to develop a whole nother thing on. But anyways, love that, Joey. Thank you.
2: Let's keep jamming, man. We're on accomplish. What are we doing here? So accomplish is a really interesting phase in the eight phases because the accomplish phase is different for every single client. Now, some of you are like, oh, geez, Joey, I'm exhausted, man. You've (laughs) you've given me all this stuff. I got to do it all And now you tell me that even though there's a trend and a pattern, accomplishment is different for every person. Yes, it is. But here's the good news. If you pay attention to the accomplished phase, if you identify what the definition of accomplishment or achievement is at a client-by-client level, that is the only way and the best way to catapult them into the final two phases, adoption and advocacy. Mm -hmm. As a general rule, someone will not advocate for your business. They will not refer your business. They will not hire you again unless they accomplish the goal they had when they decided to hire you. Now, here's the thing. Most folks in the restoration industry think that the accomplishment is the client walks back into the space and everything's cleaned up and it looks good as new. Now, for many clients, that is the definition of accomplish. But if we think about, for example, a large senior living group, okay, the person who's in charge of hiring, putting together the master services contract with the restoration team for all of their locations nationwide, doing one specific job, cleaning one specific job is an important milestone, but it's a micro milestone. Mm. Their definition of accomplishment is you proving you can do it in 17 states. So their definition of accomplish is different. Yes, you've got to clean the place. They got to walk in. They got to feel like it's brand new. Yes, etc. We want that. However, their definition of accomplishment is we get the same level of performance in Wyoming as we do in Texas, as we do in Maine. Mm-hmm. Now we have a different standard. Right. So for that person, being able to show a high level of performance in a multitude of venues is what matters most to them. For somebody who has a single location, it's probably the specific rooms or units that you just cleaned. That's their definition of accomplishment. And we also, to make matters even more exciting, have different levels of accomplishment depending on which person at the client we're talking about. Yeah. The on-site manager, their version is, this space is clean. The SVP in charge of operations, their version is, we get a consistent performance across all the states where we operate. Yeah. So the secret to accomplish is to early on in the process, in the sales process, before they become a client, start to identify the type of things that to the client equate to a definition of accomplishment or achievement. Now, you don't have to be crafty about this. You can just be straightforward. You can say, hey, by the way, you decide to hire us. We enter into a year-long master services contract. What's your definition of success? What's your definition of achievement? Is it our response time? Is it the final product? you mentioned that you've got locations all over the country. Is it delivering the same standard across all of them? Are there some locations where you need us to deliver a higher standard than in other places? What's your definition of achievement or accomplishment or completion? And then do probably the most valuable thing you can do in any sales environment, stop talking and start taking notes like crazy. Yeah. And if you do talk, What you should say should be a question to clarify and deepen your understanding as opposed to turning it into, oh, yeah, we totally do that. Let me tell you some examples of how we've done that for other people. No, no, no. This is not the selling part of the conversation. This is the curiosity part of the conversation. This is the investigative part of the conversation. And if you do your job well during the assess phase to identify those things, those notes you've taken become the checklist to see if we're accomplishing in phase Mm. six.
0: Right on. Love it. So good. Gift, dude. That's money. That is money. I'm a little bit slower, right, on this. So I just want to think about this and say, okay, again, if our goal when we show up is to ask good questions, be curious, find out from their perspective what the world looks like and how it functions, then what we need to be sure that we're doing is we're asking those questions from the bottom up and the top down. Because those
2: perspectives are going to look worlds different, potentially, right? 100%. And you need to ask those questions more than once. Yeah. Because the way they answer that question in the sales process might be very, very different when they're in crisis mode. Mm. Let me give you an example of how this works. My parents, years ago, had a backup in their plumbing downstairs and their basement flooded. So we end up with about a foot and a half of water throughout the entire basement. So we've got to bring in some folks to help clean it out. And I was not there at the time, but my parents related this story to me six months later. Now, the reason I share that specific detail is if you do this right, your customer will be talking about it months later. Mm -hmm. I saw some photos of this situation. They said they had, I offered to go home and help. They said, no, we've got it under control. Insurance is bringing somebody in. We're going to be able to get this all done. What was really fascinating is when the folks showed up to do the cleanup, the very first time they came in, they met with my parents, they went down the stairs to kind of look into the basement, they traipsed around a little, and they came back up and they sat down and they said, okay, we want to walk you through everything we're going to do, what our process is going to be, how long this is going to take, how we're going to take care of things. Before we do, was there anything in the basement that we're, now you are wondering, I wonder if it survived? Mm. And then they were quiet while mom and dad gave different answers. Because guess what? Depending on who you're asking, to your point, in the hierarchy of the client, the answer is going to be different. And then, without missing a beat, what was beautiful is the person who was leading the conversation said to the team lead who on the right he goes, You understand what we're looking for and what they are? Go ahead and go. Love it. That person left the meeting and went down into the basement to try to identify. Those three things, because there were three things on the list that were most of concern. When they pulled two of those three things out of the basement and they were okay prior to all the other cleaning happening, we already have a check mark in the win column for the client because, hey, we got two out of three. Now, the third one they couldn't find, they said, we couldn't find it. We will keep looking, it will be our priority, but we couldn't find it on our first pass, which expectation management is often a sign that it may be underwater mm-hmm. but we're not sure but we will continue to look and everybody on the team knows that that's our number one priority as we go through these things. You've completely changed the conversation about what accomplished is before you've actually even started, how are we going to get the water to recede? Oh yeah, and just chalking up wins. I mean that yeah. was a
0: really perfect example of the opportunity that we have and just that stop. Ask questions, get clarity on what a win looks like for them, and then modify our behavior a little to accomplish what it is that they need. We're not at a whole different structure doing a whole different practice. It's just some minor tweaks to customize that to the need of
1: your audience in front of you. That was a great. Well, and I think it it just immediately too, because if we're trying to manage how the customer's feeling through the experience, I imagine your parents, like they were able to jettison a lot of that anxiety and concern. Because it sort of helps differentiate between what's really important here and what are the things that can just be replaced. And once you've addressed the things that can't be replaced, most
2: of the stress and anxiety from that is gone, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And what we've done is if we think about it like a a flame or a thermostat, and that may be the wrong analogy in the world of restoration. (laughs) Sorry, everybody just had a slight heart attack right there. But basically what we're doing is we're not eliminating it. We're just turning down the temperature. Yeah. Were my parents still upset? Yes. Were they still frustrated? Yes. Did they still lose lots of things? Yes. But when we took two out of the three biggest concerns and resolved it in under an hour, I think think it was like 20 minutes before they had identified and pulled these two things out, you immediately took this from this is a level 10 to this is a level four. It's still not fun. It's still miserable. There's still a lot of work to be done. But you just checked off some of the major heartbreak moments of this in a very quick and efficient way. And you send a clear message that when you tell us something is important to you, we pay attention and we act accordingly. Because that's the other thing that happens in this industry all the time. Somebody explains, hey, you know, we've got five units. With the way we it, we're structured, we've really got to get unit three fixed first. Because unit three sits above Mrs. Smith. And Mrs. Smith, God love her, she's very sweet, but she's our biggest complainer in the entire you know, facility. If yeah. we can get unit three done and done quietly, and done, you're going to save me big headache. And then they come back a couple hours later and you're cleaning unit one. Now you're doing exactly what the agreement says. And there may even be logical reasons why you're cleaning unit one instead of unit three. But you didn't respond to the client's desire. You didn't explain to them why if you cleaned unit three and then you went and cleaned unit one, stuff would fall into unit three and that that was why you had to do number one first. So you weren't causing... I'm not saying, to your point earlier, that you should adjust what you know to be best practices for the industry and your process and your systems. What I am saying is, if we're not explaining that to the client in the moment, repeatedly, because by the way, a lot of the conversations you're having with them, they're not even going to remember. Oh, so true. They're not even going to remember those conversations. So we got to remind them, hey, I want you to know, I hear you on number three, it is going to be the second one we go to. We first got to go to this one because if we don't go to this one first, the damage will be worse than all the other units. So we got to stop the bleeding. But as soon as we stop the hemorrhaging, we are immediately going to the one that's most important to you. We will get that ready. In fact, we're going to double down on that one we're going to put twice the number of people we normally put on it. We're going to pull them off some of the other things they more normally do so we can get that one flipped faster. Love it. Okay. Now I've been heard. Now I feel appreciated. Now you are helping me to accomplish my goal.
0: So perfect. It's, awesome. it's so perfect.
2: Okay. okay, man. Adopt. Where are we going? Alright, adopt. So the adopt phase is when the customer becomes loyal to you and only you. They're not going to look at the competition they're not going to hear quotes or pitches from anybody else in the industry they're not going to try to figure out how to do it on their own they are committed to the relationship with you the challenge most businesses have is they want to move to adoption instantly they want you to sign the let's just sign a 10 year program <laughs> I mean, you know 10 year master sort of easy tough guy let's just see how you do on the first one okay i understand your goal i understand your desire the challenge is most businesses are trying to jump to adopt way too early without recognizing that we really don't get adoption before we have accomplishment phase 6 so the only way we get to sit, phase 7 adopt is if we've actually done our job now here's the crazy thing about adoption our best customers our best clients are adopters the challenge is do we treat them that way do they know they're adopters do we show them that we know they're adopters? Let me explain that in a little more detail. If you've got a client that you've been working with, let's say for four or five years, do they know you're, that they're your favorite client? Have you told them that? Have you shown them that? Have you given them any type of gifts or any type of acknowledgments or any type of thoughtful communication? Or is it just, hey, super excited to have you renew for another year of the master services contract? Because that's usually what it is. Usually it's just, woohoo, we're happy to have you back. Or, oh, hey, by the way, because you're renewing for the third year, we'll give you a discount. Actually, that's not how most businesses work. Most businesses make the people who've been there the longest pay the most. Cable companies are notorious about this. If I've been loyal to my cable company, why am I paying three times more than what a brand newbie off the street who signs up for their special sign up with us package is? It's ridiculous. I'm on the verge of swearing here because it's so <laughs> annoying to me. How many businesses operate this way? We treat our best customers the worst. They pay the highest prices. They have the least amount of focus or attention. And yet they are the ones that are keeping the lights on. It's like family. So what you need to <laughs> right? oh, yeah, it's like, totally. It's, like family. it's we who to we home. take for granted. <laughs>
0: totally. We just yeah. crap all over them. They'll understand.
2: Yeah, exactly. We it's have like, history. oh, come on. We're, yeah, exactly. Do, do remember that one time in OTT 4 when we hooked them up? They'll remember that now. No, they won't. It's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately environment. And at the end of the day, most businesses, especially in a B2B environment, fail to show any type of emotion or appreciation for the people they do business with. I'm not saying you need to write these people a love note, although that might not be a bad idea. But what I am saying is, You can stand out in the world of vendors that they have. And I know a bunch of people just threw up a little bit in their mouth because I used the V word, right? You want to think of yourself as strategic partners, affiliates, associates. Guess what? You're a vendor until you're not. Mm. You have to earn the right to move out of the category of vendor. You don't just get to ask to be moved out of it. You have to earn it with your adopters you should be out of the vendor category. You should be a friend. You should be a trusted resource, an ally. But the way you're behaving often is as a vendor. That's what you need to do in the adult phase.
1: Hey friends, hey listeners. We're doing something a little bit different with our ads. So you've been accustomed to hearing some ads with our favorite partners and companies in the industry. Now we actually have a product page, our partners page on our website. So floodlightgrp.com forward slash partners. We want to give you a quick rundown though of the people that we're partnering with and we believe in as really go-to resources in the industry. The first one is restorationerp.com. Right? ERPs are an important part of our sales process, our customer development process. And why reinvent the wheel? The Restoration ERP platform is awesome. It can be customized to your business branding and all that kind of stuff. and has all the components to really create a value add for your commercial client. Accelerate job management software. Everybody needs job management software, and we have just found Accelerate. Not only is their team like just really great to work with, when they get ideas from customers, they throw it into the, the product roadmap and they implement it. They're really advocating for the contractor and trying to create a software solution that works for them. Actionable insights—we recommend actionable insights all the time, right? All of us as restoration operators are looking for turnkey resources and training solutions that we can take our team to the next level. And AI, when it comes to estimating and Matterport and a lot of the other essential tools we're using, they're an awesome resource and they're always coming out with new great stuff. Yeah, super influential in the industry. Uh, Super Tech University, soft skills development training
0: For your technicians, for your frontline personnel. Let's face it, frontline personnel are the heartbeat of our company. They are the ones that connect with our clients and create the customer experience. There's no better investment than investing in the ability for those individuals to represent themselves, our clients, and our brand's well. So Super Tech University, uh, Surety, they essentially are cutting down this life cycle between delivering service and then getting paid. Stepping in, removing the middleman in terms of mortgage companies, refining that pipeline, making sure that it, there's as least friction as possible. So we can go out, do a great job, and then our businesses don't suffer while we're waiting to get paid. The money's coming and it's coming quickly. And then the last one, guys, is Liftify. is kind of a newer entry to the industry. They're driving Google reviews. So they're turnkey partner that we can literally go out, provide a great customer experience, hand that name off to our
1: trusted partner in Liftify and have them go chase. That Google review, twenty five percent conversion rate, which is industry wide, people tend to average five percent of the people you ask for review actually convert. Lift if five bumps that to twenty five. We were such a big believer. we were a yeah. customer, and they've been generating all of our floodlight reviews. And in a matter of a week and a half, we're up to I don't know, close to fifteen reviews yeah. in just a, a short period of time. So,
0: and I think people just underestimate what happens organically with your SEO search activity when you're getting these new and active five star reviews from our clients. And we we just can't let the pedal up on that because of the effect on our
1: business is mm-hmm. long. It's a big deal. So check it out. Check out our partners page. Do business with them. You won't regret it. We're confident in that. FloodlightGRP.com forward slash partners. Thanks, guys.
0: It's interesting because one of the things that we see a lot in our industry is that we use like this getting MSAs or, you know, these master service agreements or this, you know, an ERP program or something. We use a lot of that as almost a leading activity where, you know, your job as a salesperson is to get, you know, 10 MSAs signed this month as part of your performance. And I think where Chris and I have always struggled with that is that I I feel like you're going from I've met you to now I want to get married in the same conversation. And it seems counterintuitive to how a human is going to make a decision. And so it's interesting hearing from such a seasoned veteran right? that it's like, no, the science, the data, the business results point towards... That's a big ask. And we're probably moving into this adopt phase, which means we've got to look at how we're onboarding people, how we're effectively selling and saying, okay, is an MSA really an appropriate first relationship builder or do we need to understand this relationship better and understand what it means to be in this adopting phase? Then we kind of create that depth, we formalize things, we put a ring on it at that moment in time. And that is going to be counter to a lot of people that are listening and that's going to challenge them. But I think it's warranted. I think that that challenge is absolutely
2: critical. I agree. Well, And I recognize that we might be attacking some sacred cows or challenging some pre-held beliefs here, okay? This is one of the joys of my life, right? I get to go give speeches and write books and do workshops. And it's like, let's take all the things that you're doing in your business and just ask you, are you sure that it's working as well as you think it is? Mm, Amen. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying don't do it. If you've got some salespeople that are really good at getting MSAs, and they're really good at getting those types of relationships, awesome, great. I'm not saying do away with it. What I am saying is if you've got one salesperson that can do that and three that seem to not hit their MSA quotas, maybe you need to change the quota. Maybe you need to change the salesperson. But before we jump to we got to change the salesperson, how about we change the quota? Brandon, your analogy of putting a ring on it is spot on. This is the challenge. Just think of your own personal life. And for anybody who's listening, who's single, this is going to resonate real quick. If you're in a relationship or you've been in a committed relationship for a while, I want you to roll back the clocks to the early days, okay? Imagine being on that first date. You're sitting there and you haven't even ordered appetizers. And the person says, so when do I get to meet your parents? Your reaction to that, if you are a non-psychopath human, (laughs) is probably going to be, Oh, well, that'd actually be never now. Thanks for that <laughs> early warning signal that you are a stage five clinger. Like, no, I'm not interested in this. You're jumping the gun. It's too early. The yeah. same is true with the MSA. Here's the thing on MSAs. Two thoughts. Number one, the only time you should talk about MSAs is if the client brings it up first. Mm. If the client brings it up first, that's like them saying, well, I'd like you to meet my parents. Okay. I'm interested in meeting your parents and you created the invitation to me. Okay, now we can talk about this. I'm not going to lead into it. So if they bring it up first, you can talk about it. The other thing that I think would send ripples through the industry is if you said, so I imagine in some of your meetings with other folks that are in the restoration space, they might've wanted to talk to you about an MSA. We actually are anti-MSA for the first two projects. And the reason for that is, you're learning about us. And frankly, we're learning about you. And we'd rather not create more headache and heartache or more need for you to involve your legal team by trying to get you into an MSA. So what we'd like you to do is take a chance. Do one project with us. We'll then come back and we'll see how that goes. Then we'll do another one and we'll see how that goes. And when we do the, the recap after the project, we're going to be asking you, what did you like? What didn't you like? What would you like to see in the future? And we're going to be sharing the same feedback with you. And then, if after we do those first two projects together, we want to talk about a long-term relationship, we'd be super excited to talk about that. In fact, of our existing current client base, so that you know, 78% are on MSAs. So we absolutely have the capability to do long-term relationships. We love doing long-term relationships. We just don't want to put you in an uncomfortable position asking you to sign up for one before you're ready. Does that sound okay to you? It's ballsy, but it moves the needle. Yeah. It's a differentiator. It moves the needle. It's a huge differentiator, especially because based on what you said earlier, you're all using the same tools. You're all using the same device. I mean, heck, you're probably all using almost the same cleaning products and boxes. Oh, yeah. I mean, if yeah. we're really honest, right? Oh, yeah. And yeah. so it's like, what are you left to differentiate on? You're left to differentiate on the relationships you create. The problem with that statement being glibly thrown out like that is that lots of times people say, Well, we have great relationships. We're all about relationships. We're about long-term commitment. Sure, you are. Show me. Prove it. That's a great, you know, line to have on your website. That's a great line to use in a sales pitch. But most humans smell that line for what it is. Oh yeah. At best aspirational and hopeful. Yeah. Right? 100%. Yeah. And instead of you just say, "Hey, we do things a little differently here and if you like the way we do things differently, great. We're going to work together beautifully. If you don't, no problem. Happy to have you go with one of our competitors." so let's go back to when I was a lawyer. Well, I worked with my dad. My dad had been a criminal defense lawyer for years. And when I was coming up and working with him, I watched, he used to have this phrase that he would use in every new client pitch. And it was so powerful. Our office was in a building and across the street was another building that had about 40 lawyers in it. Our office had two. And he would say in his window, looked out on that office and we'd be sitting at me and he'd say, Hey, by the way, If you walk across to that building right there, there are 40 lawyers that will take your case for about one third of the price of what you're going to pay here. You're more than welcome to go over and do business with any of them. And by the way, if you go work with any of them and hire them, and it doesn't work out the way you want, and you want to come back and hire us again, we are more than happy to work with you then. But you need to know that the cost will be three times what I just quoted you now. Because we'll have to undo all the problems that they caused. It's your choice. We don't judge you one way or the other, but just know we're more than happy to have you back into the fold. But there will be a consequence to that choice because they're going to do things that cause bigger problems. And we
0: actually see that all the time in in our yeah right? right. Happens all the time. Yeah. I think what's interesting about everything that you talk about, specifically around this first 100 days, Joy, is, is there is this accountability to actually creating the systems, the processes, the measurables, to ensure that we actually step into what most of us saying, wishing, wanting, but we're not doing on a consistent basis. Right? Like... I think if we look across our businesses and we look at like how aggressive have we been about getting Google reviews, how aggressive have we been getting this feedback? How aggressive are we with QC calls and how aggressive are we following up with a client as a GM to see how the experience went? And the reality of it is, is that most of us, if we're honest, is there's apprehension because we're afraid to hear what we're gonna hear. Because we have no problem talking about it, but the real work to lead an organization to implement things that actually ensure we can do what you're talking about, that gap is mighty and it can be very overwhelming to begin putting the things in place to accomplish this. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's not a choice, really. It's either you have to begin to make these commitments in order to differentiate yourself against your competitors or the businesses that choose to make this critical and important in their businesses, they're just going to outplay you. Like, it's just going to happen.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I would posit that it is a choice, but it's not a sustainable choice. Mm. And it's not a choice that's in alignment with what you've told me your other goals are, business owner, to continue to grow, to build a sellable asset, to continue to provide for your family, for your employees, all these things. If you have a client who's willing to give you less than a five-star review, you should actually be happy. Here's why. The client who's willing to be honest, the client who's willing to say, actually, I'm going to give you a four star. But the reason you didn't get a five star is boom, boom, boom. That is gold. That that is worth more to you than the five star review because you have actual tactical insight into where your systems are not working. Your processes are falling short. Your people are not delivering. Your promises are not being met. We should rush to get the negative review feedback because that is the only way we are going to practically know what isn't working in our business. Mm, so true. So I get excited. If I give a speech, I survey all my audiences after every speech. I say to everybody, hey, I'd love you to tell me how the speech went, your favorite part, your, your favorite case day, your favorite example. And by the way, people who complete the survey get prizes and they get some prizes that I tell them about and they get some prizes that they don't even know about which is kind of exciting for me and exciting for them and everybody's happy. When I look through the reviews, do I look to see how many five stars I get? Absolutely, I'm human, so are you. It's okay to get jazzed about the five-star reviews. But I spend focused time, if there is a less than five-star review, reading that one. Yeah, I'll read the four-star reviews with a lot more focus and attention than the five-star reviews. Why? Because I want the fours to be fives. If I get a one or a two or a three, not only do I read and review, nine times out of 10, I'll call that person because I ask for their phone number. And most people who will give you a one-star review will happily share their phone number, by the way. Pro tip, okay? Because they know no one's going to call. There's no consequence to them. They're happy to say, hey, this sucked. And I'll tell you my name and use my name in the review. And they'll go on Yelp or wherever or Google or, you know, wherever they're doing the review. And they'll happily say who that. You know what will be really interesting is when you call them and you say, hey, I wanted to call and apologize because clearly we missed the mark. And then again, be quiet and watch while their mind is blown because no one opens a one-star review conversation with, I just wanted to apologize because clearly we missed the mark. That will, again, bring the flame down, diffuse the temperature in the room very, very quickly. And now you can have a substantive conversation from a place of curiosity as to figure out where you actually missed the mark and how you missed the mark. Not in a way to convince them that you didn't miss the mark. Just let that go. You missed the mark. The review is written. The game is over on that one. Fine. But instead, get curious about, was it something we did in our sales process? Was it something we did in our delivery process? Was it something in our messaging? Was it something in our operations? Go into it as a curious detective to figure out. And then, most importantly, take action to fix that. And then if you really want the gold star, turn around and come back to that one-star reviewer three months later with, hey... I just wanted to send you a personal thank you note because you explained to me that you thought it was absolutely miserable that my folks traipsed in without booties on. Here's a photo of the booties that our people have been wearing every day since you gave us that feedback. We're so sorry we missed with you, but thanks for helping us not miss with other people in the future. You really did us and them a service. That person is going to go back on Google. They're going to change their one-star review into a five-star review and probably hire you again the next time they need you because they felt heard. Humans in 2022 globally are dying to be seen, heard, and understood. Oh, man. If you provide that to all the humans you interact with, business life, personal life, et cetera, you will live a much better life. Dude, 100%. Guys, think about
0: your employees because they are part of your audience as well. And that is huge, 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 huge. Okay, my man, an advocate, right? This is the
2: closing of the the plane, right? Yeah. Yeah, the advocate phase. So again, this is one that everybody wants to jump to right away. How quickly do you ask for a review? Your answer to that question lets me know how quickly you're trying to push to the advocate stage. Mm -hmm. Some people want to get a review the day after the project's over. Hey, can we get a review? And I say this respectfully because we've seen this, you know, some research, which a lot of the research, frankly, is not that scientifically sound, where if you ask faster, it's a higher likelihood that they'll get it. Well, maybe. But usually that's a technique designed to get to someone to ask for a review who never asks for reviews. So we're just trying to build it into a time switch so that they actually do it. Because most business owners never ask for testimonials. They do great work and they never ask anybody for a testimonial. So the first step is asking for it. The second step of advocacy is asking for referrals to other people they might know. The problem with that is they'll say something like, hey, is there anybody that you think would benefit from our services? When you ask that question, the human that you're asking that question to suddenly thinks of every human they've ever met in their life. They rocket back to kindergarten. Hey, what, what ever happened to Andy? I remember he used to play with him on the bigger. I don't know. They think back to their first significant other. Oh, I want, you know, it was such love. It was such a moment. Would they ever have need for restorations? I don't think so. And their brain shuts down because they are overwhelmed with the thought. Instead, let's say you're talking to somebody that's in a hotel group. You said, I'd be willing to bet that you might be in an industry mastermind with some other hotel owners. Are any of those folks, do you think, in a position where they're not as well taken care of for the restoration needs as you feel that you are? Now you've made them think of their mastermind that has five people. And now they're going, well, what about James? No, he's good. We talked about this. Well. well, what about Phil? No, I think Phil's St- St- You know, Stacey brought that up, actually, a couple meetings ago that they had had an issue and that it just the cleanup and the loss of revenue and the loss of profits. It was just a dissent, you know, Stacy actually. Awesome. Would you be willing to make an email introduction to Stacy and suggest that she hop on a 20-minute exploratory call with me to see if we might be able to help her in the same way we've helped you? That's how you ask for a referral. You narrow the field, you create the invitation, and you get them to make the introduction. Some businesses, some of the folks listening, you're really good at doing that. But here's where almost everybody falls off. Do you go back and tell the person who made the referral how it went? No. Usually you don't. Yeah. So what have we just done? Hey, will you expend some social capital and go out on a limb to throw me into a black hole with your friend who's in your mastermind? And you'll never know how it ended. (laughs) No, that is a horrible answer. You should then be like, hey, oh, we did the interview. Boom. We set up the call instantly after the call, before you send the thank you note to Stacy, you're sending the thank you note back to your client saying, hey, by the way, Stacy's a rock star. We just had an amazing call. I had no idea that, you know, she'd been treated so poorly in this last situation so that, you know, we offered to send somebody over even just to do a quick site eval to see if there's anything we could do to fix the problem that the other people's talked about. And we're talking about what would it look like to do a test project with her next time they have an issue. We so appreciate you thinking of us positively and introducing us to Stacey. I think we're really going to be able to help her out. So awesome. Now we've changed the conversation. But then you do the thing that, again, very few businesses do. You reward the behavior. Mm. You reward the referral. The problem with most referral programs is we tell you what the prize is going to be. When I say, if you make a referral, we'll give you $100, that says the relationships in your Rolodex to me are worth $100. Mm. Relationships that you might have built for years, decades that to you are worth millions of dollars. I, your vendor, value it at $100. That's disgusting and ridiculous, okay? What we need to do is let that person know how much we value. It. So if you have that conversation with Stacy and you're like, you know, this could turn into something huge. What is the type of recognition or gift that I could give that would be commensurate with the value, even if Stacy hasn't signed? Now, when Stacy signs, you can send a second gift that says, guess what? Oh my gosh. Stacy just signed an MSA with us for every hotel in her property. This is absolutely incredible. We so appreciate it. And then give them a gift that is commensurate with a percentage of the total value of the contract. Mm. Right? Give them something big. And powerful. But lots of times people are like, we only pay referral fees that they sign. Oh, Great. So I'm going to make you expend your social capital and you've got to do a good enough job of convincing the person that they want to buy with me or teeing up the perfect on all fours you know, pair that they buy and then I'll reward you for the behavior. No, I'm going to condition this behavior early on. And if they make a referral that's not a good referral, you tell them. You say, hey, thanks so much for introducing us to Stacey. She's delightful. One of the things that you know because of our work together, which she didn't know, is we actually don't have any operations outside of the state of Minnesota. So while we're super excited to help anybody in Minnesota, what we ended up doing is referring to her to a great partner of ours down in Georgia that can help her. It's not going to be us, but it's someone we trust. And so rest assured she's going to be taken care of. In the future, anybody that you think might have needs in Minnesota, we'd love to talk to them. Mm. You don't punish them for the wrong referral. You educate them for making a better one. Yeah. So that's how you not only create advocates, but... Continue to reward advocates for advocate like behavior. Listen,
0: if I'd say that, like a lot of times our shows, the pendulum kind of weighs one side or the other, right? It's either a real kind of heartsy, mindsy kind of internalization conversation, or we swing out, we get very tactical in nature. And I think what is so cool about the way that you consider our audience, I'm going to start using that a lot more, is it really is this merging of very effective and measurable deliverables, meaning we are accountable in action. There is real substance to delivering at this level. But you're doing all of it in this context of how we earn trust in a relationship. Because at the end of the day, it's people. Like Everything that we do internally and externally is with people. And I just think all too often we see organizations that are somewhere on that pendulum outer swing. They're either just kind of cold and utilitarian in nature, Or they're over here all the way, where the entire organization is ran by gut response and feeling. And I think, and I think what you do specifically, what you're teaching is just this beautiful marriage of we can be relationally driven and still be very accountable to true deliverables that we can look at, that we can measure, that we can tweak, that we can hold people to on a consistent basis. So thanks, man. Like Your stuff is so top-notch. Where are we sending people, Joe? We make that a habit. We need to make sure that we get people to you and get some of these resources that are available.
2: Yeah, no, I appreciate that very much, guys. And I so appreciate your time and your questions. And I so appreciate everybody that was listening in. Best place to get kind of access to this is the first book, which was called Never Lose a Customer Again, available anywhere you would get a book. There's an audiobook that I read to you. That's my voice. So if you've enjoyed listening to me on the podcast, I'll read the book to you as we go. There's an ebook, there's a hardcover book available anywhere you would go. And then my website is joeycoleman.com. That's J-O-E-Y, like a baby kangaroo or a five-year-old. Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment, but no relation, joeycoleman.com. I'll also put in a Plug because you mentioned it earlier, Brandon. I've got a new book coming out in about seven months. Okay. So we're ways out from when it's coming, but uh, you can pre order it now on all the spots. It's called Never Lose an Employee Again. Oh, boy. And as a preview, it's the same eight phases, just applied internally to your employees. What are you doing to create the kind of relationships with your employees? that keep them coming back for more, that keep them engaged, that keep them delivering at the highest value for you and your organization. So I'm super excited about it. It's got 50 plus case studies from companies on all seven continents. We actually got an Antarctica case study in there. Super excited about that. So one of the things that you had mentioned earlier, Chris, humans are humans wherever they live. And the core way that you treat your employees, whether those are folks that live in your town, whether those are folks that work for you remotely on the other side of the planet, the core human ways of delivering emotional experiences and delivering remarkable interactions are the same. So I'm super excited to have people learn more about that in the coming weeks and months as well. Awesome. We would
1: love to have you back on to focus on that, man. What a
0: Oh, I'd love to. That'd be great. That'd be That's great. great, and just as a quick reminder to everybody listening, listen—you uh, you need the book because it's basically the owner's manual. However, if you do go to Joey's website, you will see that he very graciously gives away essentially kind of the a summary playbook. He's got a essentially a PDF that you can download that walks through these 100 days and talks very, very specifically about these eight phases. Again, more than enough to get in a really great bar fight, but get the book, then that way you have the true. Understand? It's a
1: conversation guide you can use with your team after you read the book, yeah. Huge, huge, huge.
0: Very true, yeah. Me.
2: And I appreciate that, guys. And I will tell you, in that implementation starter kit that you can download for free, it also includes blank worksheets, you to sit down with your team. Because at the end of the day, the most remarkable experiences that your organization is going to be able to deliver are going to hinge and rely on how much your employees are bought into this philosophy. If you come out and say, these are all the great things we're going to do, it's a checklist to them. Mm -hmm. If you sit down and you say, hey, we need to figure out ways to treat our people even better, to connect with our audience even more, What ideas do you all have for how we could do this? And then you implement them. It's a lot easier to get someone to do the thing that was their idea than to do the thing that was your idea. So I'm a big fan of getting your teams involved as well. Right on. Well played, my
0: friend. Well, thanks again for your time. Joey, we respect the heck out of the work that you're doing. And listeners, hint, hint, hint. If maybe you're an ATI or maybe you're a first on site or maybe you're just a large team, Joey does do stage time and he would be more than happy to look at what kind of experience he could create for you. So anyway, shameless plug. There's some big listeners out there that could take advantage of what you would do for their team. So thanks again, my friends. And uh, hopefully we'll see you next year with a new book.
2: Sounds good. Thanks so much, guys. And thanks to everybody for listening. We'll see you later. Have a good day. All right, everybody.
1: Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Head, Heart & Boots. And if you're enjoying the show, but you love this episode, please hit follow, formerly known as subscribe, write us a review, or share this episode with a friend. Share it on LinkedIn, share it via text, whatever. It all helps. Thanks for listening.